thanks for the Lord. I feel like we've accomplished a lot of things this morning. I can move the podium. We gave out the rest of the cards for the kids that it's not Operation Christmas Child, but cooler. Like, I feel like we can just go home. Like, we're, like, I've learned a long time ago, you finish on a high, and I'm on a high right now. So let's just, but you probably shouldn't say in church that you're on a high right now. Anyways, if you have a Bible, go to Colossians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to start, we're going to be in verse 7. Uh, I'm grateful. Uh, I love your pastor, Kenny. Uh, I'm getting to know more of your staff as the days go on, and, I, and I'm, I'm enjoying uh, building friendship with them. And so thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for doing what you've been doing for the last five years and what the Lord will allow you to do in the days ahead. And so I'm, I'm excited about being with you this morning. And so as you turn to Colossians chapter 4, um, I feel like my assignment in some ways is awesome, in some ways is difficult. So I was standing with Pat, and we were talking, and she's like, was it, she's like, are you going to be going somewhere else, or are you going to kind of continue where we've been going? And I said, no, the grace of the Lord is, they told me what to preach. So I, like, it was clear, like, because it would be awkward to walk in and be like, hey, I don't know any of you, but let me tell you exactly what you need to hear from the Lord. And so it's, I'm grateful to be walking in the series. It's also difficult, because I feel like I got the closing credits of the series. And so if you cheated this week, and you read ahead, and you saw this, it's a list of a bunch of people's names. And so what this, here's what most people do. They skip those. Uh, and even in, even in the Old Testament, when you start reading through those, like you don't really care who's, who's baby's daddy. Like you just don't, it doesn't matter that much to you. So it's like, why would we even include that as part of the series? And so I have this difficult assignment of dealing with, okay, there's this list of names. How does it apply to these people in this room that are part of Remembrance Church? But at the same time, I think like there's a, a, a special beauty of what the Lord is doing in sharing of those names. And so let me read to you, starting in verse 7, and then we will we'll talk through what the Lord's doing here. Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 7, says this. Tychicus will tell you about all my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage, encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nymphia and the church in her house. When this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. My hope is that as we walk through this, that you're going to see three things. The first, that gospel goodbyes are beautiful, but they're difficult. The second, that, um, and this is one of your values here, that everyone has a, pl has a part to play but it's costly. And then the third thing is simply this, that as we look at what the Lord is doing amongst his people, that it's not just amongst a, a small group of people in a particular location, but the church is called to have broader concerns. And so as we read this, this text, I hope that we see that. So let me, let me pray, and then we'll jump in. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you have been kind to us to show in real time the events of people who are being faithful to follow after you. 
thank you that uh, the, one of the key statements of this letter that Paul's writing to them is to remind them that they've been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of the beloved son. And that those who are under the sound of my voice who have trusted the cross, that that's true of them also. That they no longer live under the jurisdiction of darkness, but they now live in the freedom of the kingdom of the beloved son. And so, Lord, I pray that even as we look at a text like this that calls us to some very particular, practical, on-the-ground things, that we would see the beauty of the freedom that's being offered because of your grace. It's in your name I pray. Amen and amen. As we look at this, uh, I, I mentioned to you this feels like it's a little bit of the final credits of the movie. Like, the epic things have already happened. Like, even last week, Pastor Brittany's message where she was talking about having wisdom and being on mission was just a really great play. Like, that's how you want to end the book. Like, this is what you're being called to do, and this is how you're being called to do it. But there's a reality that even in what we're talking about in this series, this, this being transferred from a domain of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son, that there's some difficulty that we need to be honest about. That I, if, if I could confess to you that it's not just that, um, so the way that they used to think about it in, in Bible times was that there was this present evil age, and there was this sphere, and when that age would end, that the age to come, the age where there would be no death or sickness or dying, that that would come, and there would be two separate ages, but what we're seeing, even in this chapter, is that those times overlap. That there's this overlap between this present evil age, and so we still see death and disease and divorce and any other negative thing that you can think of that starts with the letter D. And then you see that the Lord is also doing some things to bring deliverance from that, and we live in the overlap. And the hard thing about living the, in the overlap is I'm still close enough to what it was like to be in the domain of darkness that it reminds me that some days that was easier. Like, there is a reality that there, it's, it's a little bit easier to just kind of submit to what my flesh wants and the desires that seem to be the most natural to me. Like, like, to walk in wisdom means to walk in freedom and make some decisions. Under the tyranny of the domain of darkness, I just did what it told me to do. It was a lot easier to live in that oppression, a lot easier to live without those choices. Like, when those things were kind of laid out for me, I didn't have to make a lot of decisions. I just did whatever my natural desires drove me to do. So let me illustrate. There's a movie called Shawshank Redemption. And so let me, let me say two things. One, number one, it came out in 1994. And so if you're like, don't spoil it for me, that's on you. <laughs> and the second part of it is there's this reality that when, you're, when we watch that movie, like there's a lot of things that you could say, okay, that doesn't have anything to do with my life, but I do think it speaks to this point. So in the movie, Andy, when he ends up being in the library and starts working with Brooks, Brooks eventually gets paroled and Brooks ends up in this halfway house. And when Brooks is in the halfway house, he is living in this difficulty of trying to figure out how do I live in freedom because when I was in prison, they told me what to do and when to do it and how to do it. And ultimately, the way that Brooks' life ends is that he ends up killing himself because he couldn't handle the freedom that he'd been given. It was much easier to be in the domain of darkness than it was for him to be in a place of freedom. And what's funny is at the end of the movie, the same thing happens where Red gets out and Red is walking past gun guns at pawn shops and thinking it'd be easier for me to go back. But the thing that makes the difference for Red is that Andy's already on the outside and Andy has left him money and left him instructions to find him. And all of a sudden, Red is able to function in this new domain that he's been transferred into because somebody has gone before him and shown him how to do it. What's interesting about this text is these names like Tychicus and Archippus and Demas and Luke are names of people who have gone before and have lived in this domain of the kingdom of, of the Son, and they're showing us how to do it. But what's interesting is that what Paul starts with is not 
here's who's among you, but here's who I'm sending to you. So he starts the conversation by saying, hey, I'm sending you some faithful brothers. I'm sending you Onesimus, who is one of you, and I'm sending you Tychicus, who is one of mine, who's been a faithful servant, a beloved brother. This is somebody who's walked closely with me. And when I read this, it reminds me that gospel goodbyes are beautiful and they're difficult. So here's the reality. We're in a unique moment. That there will never be another moment quite like being here just after 10 o'clock on this morning in no, on November 19th, that this room will not be ever the same again. That there will be people who will come into this room who aren't previously in this room, and there will be people who are not in this room again. And some of that will be because of difficult, frustrating things like illness and sickness and death and sin, and, and people will leave because of those things. But there will also be people that come for good reasons, but, uh, and those are difficult. But what I would say is even bigger than that is there are going to be gospel reasons that cause people to leave this place, and that's beautiful. Like, what, what, I, what I share with our church is that I want to be ascending church. That I want to stand on stages with tears in my eyes and having conversations about this couple or this family or this single person that I love that's going to go to the other side of the country or is going to go plant a church or is going to go be an engineer on the other side of the world for the purposes of the gospel and like, like missionary spies, they're going to be incepted into places and I'm going to have to have this conversation about how beautiful it is that they go and how difficult it is to leave them. The other evening, Sky and I were having a dinner with a family in our church, and they were telling us, we were, we were lo joking about their townhome and how much we love their townhome, and they're like, do you want to buy it? And I'm like, do you want to give me a discount? <laughs> and in that conversation, they were saying, we're getting ready to move because we feel like the Lord is calling us to another place in our retirement, and we can be more effective in our retirement with the finances that we have going to this place than staying where we are here. And there's a part of me that's like, Yes, Jesus, that they're thinking about at the end of their life that this is how they can leverage their days for the glory of the message of what Christ has accomplished. But then there's a part of me that's like, if you're thinking that way, just move in with us and we can all do it here. Just let me pay rent at your townhome. Like there's a part of me that's, that's jostled by that because it's beautiful that they're saying for the sake of the message of Jesus, for the sake of other people who are in the domain of darkness, knowing that because of the cross they can be transferred into the kingdom of the sun, that, that they want to leverage their life towards that and they feel like they can do that in, in the south of our nation more than they can do that here. That's incredible. But at the same time, it's like, imagine what Paul's saying here, that Tychicus, that this is a brother, that this is someone that I love. And, and here's what you have to know about Paul. Paul doesn't typically write this way. So Paul doesn't seem to be the guy that's writing Hallmark cards to people to make them feel better about themselves. Like, even when you read things like in Philippians 3, when Paul's saying things like, beware of the dogs, that's not slang about him talking about his homies. Like, he is, and he's not even, like, because we think about dogs, we think about man's best friend, and we clothe them and put shoes on them, and it's weird, and I don't understand why we do that. <laughs> but when we think about dogs, we think about man's best friend, this domesticated animal, but in that day, and even in the Middle, a Middle East currently, there are these scavenging, dirty beasts that are going to defame life for the people that come in contact with them. And so when Paul says, beware of the dogs, he's not trying to give a term of affirmation. He's speaking to beware of those that would damage your life because they're scavengers. He didn't typically write like this. Or if you've read Galatians, Paul says some things in Galatians that I won't read in church because I'm a little bit embarrassed by them. 
Like when he's talking about circumcision and the way that he talks about that, I'm like, I'm glad you're an apostle and you can say that. I don't rank that high. (laughs) But when he says things like, my beloved brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant, like think about, and then he says about Onesimus, he's a faithful and beloved brother, and these are the guys that are ministering to him, caring for him, helping to encourage his soul, and he's saying, but for the good of the gospel message, and so that what you're experiencing can be lived out in a way that you can say in real time, real people are walking out what it looks like to be on mission and live with wisdom, I'm sending them to you. And I, and I just want to say to you that one of the calls of the church is one of the most beautiful things that we do is not just add, but we multiply. The, not, the thing that we don't just do is just how many more people can be here, but there's a multiplication, an exponential effect of when we send mature Christians who love the Lord into communities where the gospel's not being faithfully preached, that there's a multiplication effect that changes the world around us. A, a pastor that I admire and I, and I think is a brilliant thinker is a man named J.D. Greer. He's a pastor in Raleigh, North Carolina. And he talks about that when we measure the health of our church, we measure it not just by our seating capacity, but by our sending capacity. So, so let me say this. JD has like six campuses and has, has this multiplying effect that's happening in his church. And it's easy to say that when you have six campuses and you're about to launch your next campus on Mars. But it's a little harder when it's 200 people or 100 people or 50 people, or three people in your living room with a vision and not knowing how this is actually going to play out. And I just want to encourage you today, gospel goodbyes are beautiful and brutal all at the same time. And the message of Jesus is worthy of all of this. And so Paul says, I'm sending you brothers that mean the world to me because their multiplying effect amongst you is better than my own comfort. Second thing that I hope that you see is that there is a call for everyone to play a part, and it's costly. And so let me back up, because here's the reality. Our default nature is not to contribute. Our default nature is to consume. And consuming is cheap, and it's easy. It's extremely easy to sit back and watch other people do the work and be like, you ain't doing that right. <laughs> like everybody is, if we want to use sports, an armchair quarterback or everybody is an, an armchair critic that could say, well, if I was doing that, I would do it better. I'm not going to do it, though, because I, I don't got time for that. <laughs> like, like even in our nature, we are consumers. So last week I was preaching at our church and I was talking about uh, the story of the rich young ruler and all of the narratives in Luke right before the rich young ruler point to this level of dependence. And one of those narratives is Jesus having the kids being brought to him. And when we read that narrative, we read, sweet little innocent children. And the people who think that are people who don't have children. <laughs> like there is a reality that by our default nature, we are consumers. And so when your children are born, they come out, and they don't think, you know what, you carried me for nine months, you did a lot of work. Last week in church I said, you were in labor for four hours, and ladies in the church were like, four hours? (laughs) Like, and not like that was a long time, like, obviously you don't have kids, because you only said four hours. So 14 hours, (laughs) so you don't shame me. You've been through all, your kids are like, you know what, you've done all this for me, I got it from here, 
I see you in a few years. No child says that. They scream because they want you to feed them and change them and tickle them and roll them over like they are, they're consumers. And some of you are like, Pastor, you were speaking my language. You know where I'm at. Here's the good news for you. There is an end. And it's when the trumpet blows and the Lord cracks the sky. <laughs> because it will translate from I'm crying because I can't speak to tell you what I want to saying no and mine, which means you're not the boss of me and I dominate everything. To translating into, hey, can you sign me up for ballet, soccer, and tutoring all at the same time? To, hey, can you buy me a car? To, hey, can you help me pay for college? And then when they get older, it gets craftier. Because then they give you propositions. Hey, I have some good news for you and some bad news for you. (laughs) So you're thinking, the bad news is probably going to be really, really bad. I may want to kill them. So let's start with the good news. What's the good news? I learned in one of my classes that you can claim me as a dependent on your taxes. I'm like, oh, that is good news, but I can't claim you as a dependent because you don't live here. Well, then here's the bad news. I'm moving back in. <laughs> like, like, there's this reality that your kids will always consume. <laughs> that we are consumers because it's cheap and it's easy and it's our nature. But to be contributors, to play a part in what the Lord is doing in this massive narrative of him saying, I am breaking the oppression of the darkness and transferring you into the kingdom of the sun, that I'm taking off the old self and putting on the new self. Like, for us to contribute and being part of that narrative, it's costly. Like, as you read through this, here's here's what's interesting. Some of the language that Paul uses. So Paul talks about Aristarchus being his fellow prisoner. The the, the language that he uses of Epaphras is that Epaphras strives in prayer for them. So this is not the short prayer that you pray right before you fall asleep that says, Lord, I pray that you would bless Pastor. It's not that type of prayer. It's the type of prayer where your knees ache and your eyes are puffy because you've been doing work with the Lord because you're interceding on behalf of the people of God. That here's some of the language that he uses that the ESV would say that a fellow servant, but I think it turned the language down. And actually what it means is to be a slave. That it's this idea that I'm bound to the gospel, that I'm bound to the message of Jesus and the purposes and the will of Jesus so much so that I would give up freedom for that. Like, think about that language. At the end of it, here's what Paul says. Remember my chains. When's the last time that you said, honey, could you get some milk and eggs? I love you. Remember my chains. The way that he talks about contributing, the way that he talks about everybody playing a part doesn't seem to be this language of where he thinks that it's optional, but he assumes that it's true, and he's just honest about it being costly. And so let me press us, because I think oftentimes the way that we see the church is that there are a few who are in the special forces, and we get to receive the benefits. But that's not the way that the Lord structured the church. So Ephesians chapter 4, Paul, writing a similar letter at a similar time, begins to write this way, starting in verse, six, or verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? 
He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So let me pause there. Two things. One, I love that Paul just kind of goes off on this rabbit trail because it gives me hope as a preacher that I can just say things that have nothing to do with the message. But here's where he's, he's laying out this deep theological truth that what you see in what Christ did is not that he just accomplished a work and left, but in his ascending that he also graciously gave gifts. And so he starts saying, you understand the ascending, you also understand the descending that happened through the cross, through the death, and then the glory of what happened in the resurrection. And here's where it shifts, verse 11. Here's the gifts that he gave. And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So I think we get the next part, that he ascended and he left leadership, that he left apostles and prophets to be the foundation of the church, that he left teachers, that he left evangelists and shepherds, that he left those things. And here's what we grew up understanding, that those do the work of the ministry and we get to watch. He says, no, 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 no. The reason that the Lord left them was to gift you with the ability to do the work of the ministry. That you would attain to the unity of the faith and to the mature adulthood. I don't think it's an accident that he says, here's what contributors are. They are adults, that they work for the benefit of others. Everyone plays a part, and it's costly. But it's a definition of maturity. And so whether that is being somebody that is leading a community group or being somebody that goes and does laundry love or somebody that gives towards this work of orphans in Mexico, there is a call that everybody plays a part, and the Lord is not ranking these parts. You know what's interesting to me is that um, he writes in here that he talks about Luke. So here's what we know about Luke. Luke was a doctor, which means he was a highly educated man. But also, we know that Luke was a good theologian because he wrote two books of the Bible. And then there's this person named Nymphia. If you were to do the research on the name Nymphia, there is this argumentation about, is that Nymphia's name, is that a lady's name, or is that an abbreviation of some guy's name? So what that amounts to is they don't even really know who this person was. But in this list, Paul treats Luke and this lady who was holding church in her house as the same. So whether you're a person who has great learning, we need you, we love you, we're grateful for you, you have a part to play because another value here is that everyone matters. So you matter because with your giftedness, you matter with what you contribute. Or maybe the Lord blessed you with parents who could afford braces so you got a nice smile, you can contribute also. That everyone plays a part, and maturity in the body looks like people saying, I'll be faithful to play mine. And the final thing is not only does everyone play a part, not only are gospel goodbyes difficult, but the church is called to have a broader concern than just themselves. So as Paul ends this letter, he says this, verse 16, and when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you will also read the letter from the Laodiceans. What I realize is that often doesn't feel like us. So this letter was specifically written to the Colossians to help them understand this is the glory of what the Lord has done 
But here's how you, you need to protect from things that would draw you back into the domain of darkness. Those vain and evil philosophies that would be oppositional to the glory and the name of Christ. And so he wrote specific things to them, for them, about them. But he says, when you're done with this, make sure that your neighbors just to the northeast in Laodicea, that they get to hear this also. And there's some things that have been written to them, and make sure that you hear what's written to them, because your concern is broader than just you. And so while this might be a specific word for you in this moment, it's also you need to be caring about the good of them, and there may be some things that could shape them also. And some of what the Lord's doing in them, that's also good for you. I want that to be our posture. One of the things that breaks my heart is the competitiveness of the church. That far too often that there is this, well, you know what they do over there at that church. Because they don't do it like you, or they have what you don't have. That there's, there's this kind of underground, and, and, and hear me, I understand there are unfaithful churches. So assume when I'm talking about this, that I'm talking about churches that love the Lord, that are doing the best to shepherd and lead their people in ways that are going to grow them into the image of Christ. Like, that's what I'm talking about. Like, churches that are preaching false gospels, let's not even call them churches because that dilutes the name. But churches that are trying to be faithful, that have a different methodology than you do, far too often our posture is we want to make them the enemy. That there's this weird thing in us that's the crab barrel mentality. If you've ever been to a market where they have crabs in a barrel, you'll notice that crabs are always trying to crawl out. When I was a little kid, I used to be like fascinated, like, he's going to get out, he's going to get out. And then this crab would reach up with his pincher and pull the other one down. As if to say, the only way that I can be elevated is if I tear you down. And what's dangerous is I think the church thinks that way. I think far too often that the way that the things that we post on social media, because apparently we're Twitter thugs, that we can get out there and say, well, you heard what so-and-so said. They're a heretic. No context, no knowing of the breadth of what they're doing. And we're, we're almost trying to make this argument like, look at us because we do it right, but not that person. And then I think about the way that Jesus talks about his church. And what he says in John 17 is, Lord, my prayer is not just for them, but those that will come from them, that they would have the same unity that you and I have. There is no rivalry between the Father and the Son. The Son's not saying, you know what, I wish people gave me more credit for creation. Like, I know you did some things like speaking the world in existence and having the Spirit settle out the chaos, but really, I was the point guard of that affair. Like, you'll never see that in the Bible. In fact, you see the opposite in the Bible, that every time that the Son's doing something, it seems like the heavens open up and the Spirit comes down and the Father says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And then Jesus is sitting there saying, I have to go because you know what's better for you? That the Spirit might come. And that the Spirit keeps pointing back everything that you're learning from me. I'm just pointing you back what you learned from the Father and the Son. They're just mutually giving credit and glory to one another. And he's saying, I wish that the church would look like that. I wish that we were courageous enough to say, hey, you know what I love about Remembrance Church? They hear the things that they do well, that they are on mission amongst their people, caring about the houseless community, that they do those things well. And here's what I love about Journey of Faith. Like, if you want your kids to grow up and be in disciple of the gospel, they handle business. And here's what I love about Life Covenant. If you need counseling, that that's the place where you can go and your heart can be shaped by the word in the most difficult circumstances of life. I want to be able to give mutual credit and glory to other places. 
instead we look far too much like the world. That our PR looks, we look like campaign season. Let's say everything bad about everybody else and then put our logo on it and say, I'm Keys Harvey Church, I approve this message. (laughs) Even Kenny inviting me to do this is a beautiful example of the gospel being big enough to unite us. And I just, I just want to confess to you, I don't, I don't want to be that. Let me, let me, let me make it personal. I can't follow other pastors on Twitter because I can't celebrate their flourishing. I get mad that it's not me. And so it, it makes it seem like, oh, well, you, you're self-aware and you know yourself. I am self-aware, and what I know about myself is that I'm sinful. And then I play the comparison game. May it never be true that we can't celebrate somebody else's flourishing because it's not our own. But the church is called to have a broader concern. The church is called to have a broader concern for one another. You are siblings. I, I love praying this in our church, that I love getting to call our church brothers and sisters. I love getting to call you brothers and sisters because the Lord has adopted us as sons and daughters. I have an older sister named Rachel, and I love Rachel. Um, she's six years older than me. We're extremely close. And we were little. She bullied me. Like, Things like she beat me up one time because I wanted to watch Good Times and she wanted to watch MTV and she was bigger than me and so she just took me out. (laughs) Now let me say this. This is not fair because she's not here to defend herself. I probably deserved it. But what I know about Rachel is if anybody messed with me, like the earrings were coming off, (laughs) she was pulling brass knuckles out of her her, her purse. I don't know why she had them, but she did. Uh, And she was going to fight somebody because I was her little brother. So there are going to be times we, we rub each other wrong. I get that. But when it comes to somebody attacking the church, we ought to rush in and say, not on my watch. Those are my brothers and sisters. This is the call to have a broader concern because of what Christ has done. Right? And that's a good call. So let me, let me pull this a little bit more to the ground. There is a day that's coming that gospel goodbyes will send people from this place. And that may be because the Lord is going to move in spite of you, or it's because the Lord's going to move because of you. My heart, I want to plant 40 churches in 40 years. That plant another 40 churches that plant another 40 churches, that plant another 40 churches. Which means there are going to be people on my staff, there are going to be young men and young women that come through our church, that I'm be like, I want you to, ke- I want to keep you, but I have to send you. My hope is that remembrance is multiplying, not just adding, because they realize the beauty and the brutality of a gospel goodbye. I think that starts even in the small things of how you raise up leaders through community groups, how you do theology and community through things like Rooted, where you're raising people up and saying, you may not do this as, as excellent as I do it, but I'm going to empower you to do it as authentically as you can do it. 
I think the second thing is that there is a beautiful, beautiful call for everyone to play a part. And no part is too small. So I, I, I think we have this mentality that because we award um, brand recognition, that we get frustrated if what we do is not the most public thing. But I learned a long time ago that the way people have their hearts opened up is not because I'm funny. It's because somebody was on their knees begging the Lord to save them. I learned a long time ago that before anybody ever gets to a seat to hear a sermon or sing a song, that the person that greets them in the parking lot, that the person that loves their baby as they check their baby in, makes a whole lot more difference than I do. Like, I realize that like, this doesn't happen if somebody doesn't say, I'm committed to setting up chairs. That this doesn't happen in the way that it happens. If those two young ladies back there who are like Navy SEALs that nobody knows they're back there unless something goes wrong, that if they do their job well so you're not distracted, so that way you can sing the words to a song or read the text in a way that's not distracting, that's enhancing to your experience. Like, those are big parts. So however the Lord has gifted you, I'm calling you as a friend. I don't, I don't go here. But I'm calling you as a friend to say, play your role and play it faithfully. And then the third thing is, you have a broader concern than just this. I'm elated. Like, I, I was the one that started clapping all loud in the back when Brittany said, hey, we've got, we've got seven of these out of 60 left. Like, I was just excited. I was like, 53 taken. That's awesome. But it says something about you. That you see that there's something beyond you that the Lord's called you to. I just want to affirm that in you. And don't let it just be project-based. Let it be the rhythm of your life. I have a good friend named Trent. He's got two sons, Emmett and Easton. And, and Emmett is four, and so they're, they're thinking about their Thanksgiving. And he said, my goal for the rest of Emmett's life is that he starts thinking about Thanksgiving as a launch to a season where he gives for others. So he's like, I'm trying to find ways where Thanksgiving morning we can go and do something where he's feeding others or where we, when we go shopping for gifts that he tells me the thing that he wants the most and instead of me buying that for him, we buy it for another kid. I was like, I'm not sure that's going to work, but you can try it. want this to be just project-based because it's Christmas time and we want to give to orphans or it's the first Saturday of the month and so we want to do something like Laundry Love, that you're looking about how to open up your world to say my concerns are broader than that. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. And as we conclude our time in the Word, I, I actually want to give you a little bit of space to do business with the Lord and then I want to, and then I want to close this in prayer. So I want to ask you two questions. The first question is this. Where has the enemy lied to you and told you that the gifts that the Lord have given you are not important enough to be used amongst the people of God? Where has he said that the part that you play is too small, nobody will notice if you don't do it, and you can just stop? And the second question this is a harder question and it may drive us towards repentance. 
where is it that because of the sinfulness of comparison, it's been hard for you to celebrate the flourishing of others? Where is it that you've been like, let me just use a biblical word, that you've been coveting? That you've said, I can't celebrate the good that somebody else has because I don't have it. Or I wish ill upon them because I want what they have. And this text would say that because you've been transferred out of the domain of darkness, that's old self-thinking. New self-thinking operates in love and forgiveness and appreciation and loves to see the flourishing of others outside of myself. So I want to just give you a few minutes to do business with the Lord one-on-one to wrestle through those questions in your heart. Then I'll come back and close this in a time of prayer and then we'll celebrate. You've been transferred.